everybody. How are you? Uh, this is your buddy Jack. Welcome to Let's Talk Recovery and Family Padco- Podcast. I hope um, this uh, session finds you doing well, doing okay. Um, some of you know that I've worked as an addictions counselor and um, working as a, a peer support specialist. <clears throat> and I get to see some of the ugly um, in, in people's lives. Uh, and it's not easy. It's not easy. And you'd be surprised at who all does that kind of thing. I was just um, at Supercuts getting my hair cut. And the girl that was cutting my hair um, was telling me that she has seen some of that stuff. She used to, she, uh, um, used to work as a full-time um, adult probation officer. And I thought, wow, that's just crazy. So she got to see some of the stuff that would happen before counselors like me get them, right? Um, and I know that that's not nice. We talked about CPS experiences and um, child family welfare experiences, and it's just um, ugly. It's just ugly out there. Um, and, and a lot of it is this disease, the disease of addiction. A lot of it is, you know, it stakes claim on. Right? Um, it's just ugly. It is just ugly. So I'm going to get into a little bit more of that. Um, and it's going to be a, uh, similar to the last uh, session, but this one has a little more addiction stuff in it too. Um, you know, I kind of like to to uh, sort of get this ebb and flow between um, both um, addiction, the addict, and their families. Because uh, that's my thing. I love to help those f- kinds of families find solutions. And I'm hoping that um, the information that I share, along with my own experiences, um, I hope that they uh, help give some insight, maybe some guidance, um, and hopefully answer a few questions, right? Which reminds me, along with that support button, Yeah. Please, whatever you feel like you're willing to offer um, or contribute um, to this podcast, please do. It helps me keep my stuff up uh, to speed, and uh, it's greatly, greatly appreciated. But right alongside that support button is a message button. Feel free to send me a comment, and um, maybe we can start a conversation on some of this stuff. I am game for that, too, for sure, because I get questions. I get questions every day when I come in contact with families or some of the other patients that we have. Um, Some of them want to know different things about what's going on in their lives. Uh, I don't have any really input on uh, what happens on the legal system side, but they'll ask a lot of those questions, right? Um, But I do the best I can, and I offer the best support that I can. Um, meanwhile, trying to educate and inform, that's, that's what I want to do. And you guys know, those that have been listening for a while know that, um, I kind of feel like sometimes throughout the process of treatment, whether it's addiction treatment or mental health treatment, um, sometimes families are left out of the loop. Unfortunately, that happens, right? Of course, you got those family members that are so burned out, they don't, 
um, even want to attempt to be a part of the process. Um, and depending on the damage, you're not sure you can blame them, right? Um, you never know what has gone on in that family's home. It's easy to say, well, now more than ever, they need your help. They're mentally ill. They're stuck out in the street in full-blown addiction. They need your help more now. Um, but you don't know about the attempts prior. You don't know what kind of chaos they created in the home, right? There's all those kinds of uh, all those kinds of things that people just aren't aware of unless you live in the home. Because most families are good at covering it up anyway. Most families are pretty good about covering it up, whether it's the addiction issues of a family member or the mental health issues of a family member. Um, they're pretty good <clears throat> at covering up because family structures have become increasingly complex uh, in this country, varying from the standard nuclear family, two parents and a child, right, to include um, single parent, if that happens, or step parent, if that happens, uh, uh, um, foster child, right? There's different variations of what you would consider a standard, uh, a standard family. Um, when a family member participates in substance abuse, the effects of their abuse may differ depending on their family structure um, and a few other factors, of course. Living alone. Um, or with a partner. You have that scenario. Uh, one or both individuals will need help. If one person struggles with addiction, it is highly likely that the relationship uh, involves issues of codependency or enabling. That happens a lot. You know, I've had people say, well, I got into this thinking um, that I could fix them. Um, I really loved a lot of uh, the personalities and, and, and their characteristics uh, aside from addiction. And I really thought that um, we could make things work and I could help them. That very rarely happens. Very rarely happens, right? And it can involve everybody. You know, like um, kids, parents of small children may try to compensate for the deficiencies of their substance abusing partner right um, in these situations it is common for children to become sort of a surrogate spouse um, for that substance abusing parent I know we've seen those kinds of scenarios <clears throat> unfortunately that doesn't end well you got mom or dad, single parent, they're deep in addiction, and the kids sort of left to fend for themselves and uh, make sure to knock the needle out of the arm if mom or dad's overdosing, right? They're prepared, usually trained to call 911. Um, it's ugly. It's ugly, right? And then you got um, living with a partner and one child or two children. When parents have issues, with each other, these issues can spill over and affect children, definitely. Single parents who abuse substances may rush or push children to act in a manner that is not appropriate of their age. 
right? They want them to act or behave older, be able to at younger ages when they shouldn't be doing dishes, loading dishwashers, folding clothes, right? Doing laundry, right? Uh, maybe those uh, um, are not age-appropriate chores, right? Maybe we're having them do the grocery shopping, right? Not an age-appropriate thing, but we'll have them appro- um, do those things to compensate for the parents' deficiencies. Sometimes to protect themselves from the reality of their parents' addiction, children may create uh, elaborate systems of denial. Kids are resilient. Yes, they are. Um, but they do become sick too. They do become sick too. And maybe sometimes you have um, older parents living with grown children. That's uh, our scenario right now. Uh, my two oldest stepdaughters live with my wife and I. They're needing some help, and so they pay um, their way here, right? Nothing extravagant. I don't want my kids to go broke, but they do share in some of the stuff, right? And they don't have the big, large rent or mortgage, right? Or saving them that money. Um, Cause I know a little t- off topic, but I've seen some of the rental prices out there. Oh my gosh, just absolutely crazy. But you got older people with grown children. Um, I don't know that I would call us older. I'm just fixing to be 51. Is that older? Mm. When does that start? Anyway, it's very weird that I mentioned that topic and I'm, uh, <laughs> the kids are the adult grown children. Wow. But in most cases, family resources are necessary to take care of an older addicted individual. In some cases, this can lead to elderly abuse. I have seen that happen. Where you do have someone a little bit older than me, and they're 60s, mid-60s, creeping up on 70, right? Um, And yes, there are addicts that old. And yes, you've got some very angry adult children who have been dealing with it their whole lives, right? Dealing with it their whole lives. And yeah, they're a little resentful, a little angry. That doesn't... um, That doesn't at all all justify elder abuse, right? Um, But that's part of the sickness. Living within a step family, I have that too. I've got three step daughters, two of them live with us, and that would mean my wife has two step sons, right? Abusing drugs and alcohol can slow the rate of which step families come together, um, or slow the rate, yeah, at which step families come together. Um, and weaken their stability because <clears throat> you got all the stressors of a blended family anyway, right? And we're talking about abusing substances. That would have been me. Um, and it, it, it does. It, it does take a toll. Um, I'm trying to navigate through um, the stressors that come with a blended family anyway, right? Uh, it does get tough. <clears throat> then you got living as a teenager with the family. We had that too, right? Um, the girls were teenagers. The boys were teenagers too, right? The general well-being of all but the addict individual may be put aside for a while, 
right? You can kind of manage. Everybody's doing their own thing. The kids are out with friends. Um, and nobody really pays attention to the progression of what's going on with the addicted family member, right? Sometimes um, this is causing others to feel ignored because of the crisis um, caused by substance abuse. <clears throat> Maybe the spouse would be that one because nobody's around to help anymore. If the parent um, is the one who is addicted, the children are also at increased risk of physical and emotional conflicts, right? When they go to their room, they're battling too. And they're not only battling their own spiritual warfare for that age. I'm a faith guy. You guys know I'm a faith guy, I believe, um, in God. And I do believe that um, there are things um, around us that kind of help navigate. And they're good and bad. Um, and <clears throat> I feel like kids can um, not only have their own stressors from school, um, but on top of that have the stressors of an addicted family member, a parent, um, which means they probably have the stressors of how much the parents fight <clears throat> or how much the parents don't talk or interact at all. They can feel that stress uh, or how much stress there is from the addicted family or parent um, not being home, available, right? So you got all of those things that these kids are, are, are dealing with. Right. And sometimes they get curious, too, and they're like, hey, I see how mom takes this medication and it seems to make her feel better. It seems to be able to help her sleep because she'll sleep on the couch for hours. And she's not angry and screaming. That is the beginning of curiosity. Know that the day will come when that teenager will pick up and perceivably see the same payoff. I say perceivably because it's like fake news. Mom's really not happy, kids. Mom's really not happy, and she's not even cognizant of her situation in that moment. She's out in zombie world somewhere, right? Avoiding what she thinks about parenting, avoiding the parenting itself, avoiding the stress of the parental arguing, avoiding the stress of just home. That's all mom's done. That's all dad's done if it's him. He just checked out, right? Um, there's, there's nothing in that. So don't go. If you're toying with that, if you happen to be a teenager listening and you're toying with that, don't do it. <clears throat> Don't do it, right? According to SAMHSA research, there are several characteristic patterns of communication among families with a member struggling with substance abuse or addiction, right? There are several. One or more of the following traits, I'm going to go over a couple of them, are likely to be present in a family that includes parents or children of abuse, alcohol, or drugs. Inconsistency is a big one, right? Inconsistency on what goes on in the home is a big issue. 
Plus, we all know. We all know that inconsistency influences every family. Right? And it doesn't even have to be a family where there's an addict in the family. Right? If you got a loved one or a spouse, boyfriend, husband, girlfriend, whoever, that is inconsistent with the way that they treat you, does it not manifest some stressors? Of course it does. Right? That even happen, That can happen at work. Do you have a job? There's always this one rule that's fudged on versus this rule, slightly broken, maybe bent. We'll call it bent. We can break this rule, but no, don't really break it. Just sort of find a way. You know what I'm talking about, right? It doesn't have to be a family with an addict in it. It could be what I would call a regular family, whatever regular is, right? And inconsistencies at work, too. Inconsistency is just not good overall. Establishing rules... Right? Establishing rules is erratic at best. Right? It's erratic at best. And established rules are rarely enforced, making the family structure inadequate. Children end up confused because they are not able to determine what is wrong, what is right. I got to do that yesterday. Why can't I do it today? Right? In an attempt to get their parents to set boundaries, children may act out. Mm. This is good. This is good. I'm reading um, some information that I got off of this website. And if I remember, it was a SAMHSA website. And I love that statement. Children end up confused because they are not able to determine what is wrong or wrong. In an attempt to get their parents to set boundaries, children may act out and behave inconsistently. You know, I got to tell you, that didn't even have to have a, a, um, an addicted parent in that scenario. If you got two people that you would consider... Um, I don't know. What would you? They're married, maybe married legally, maybe not married legally, but they're always arguing, always fighting about stuff, right? And the kids tend to get thrown in the middle of that, right? And then during one argument, they were allowed to put this show on just so they're not in the way. Well, the next day they want to put the same show on, and no, it's not allowed. Kids get confused. And the thought of them breaking boundaries or setting boundaries or to get their parents to set boundaries, they act out. They act out. Mm. Right? Mm, that's just nuts. But it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Without limits, children cannot predict their parents, cannot predict their parents' responses, and adjust their behavior accordingly. I learned today that this was okay, but now it's not all of a sudden. The trend of inconsistency remains present whether the parents or children are the ones abusing substances, 
which creates an overall sense of confusion in the family unit. Right? So then everybody's confused. Right? Everything is... Everything is chaotic. Inconsistency on both ends. Right? You got drug abuse, substance abuse... Uh, and again, it creates an overall sense of confusion in the whole family. The whole family. Right? It's just amazing how much addiction can influence the ebb and flow of a family unit. And despite seeing the chaos of it, People can still say, they're the addict, not me, it's their problem. I've never been able to understand that. I've never been able to understand that, right? And then things go haywire, and you go one extreme or the other, and then you have unrealistic expectations, right? If parental expectations are too high, children may use substance abuse, to excuse themselves from the additional responsibility. Ultimately, children may go to painstaking lengths to overachieve, despite still feeling like no one, uh, or like no matter what they accomplish, it will never be enough to earn their parents' approval. I've talked to kids like that. You know how many kids I've met that are excited about going to school? Only because it gets them out of the house? Only because they know they're going to at least get one meal? Because mom or dad or both are too high or drunk to fix dinner? Right? And why wouldn't that kid grow up to be an adult addict? Mm. Mm. That happens a lot. Children may joke or try to laugh it off when face-to-face with their parents to deflect any pain. No, Mom. No, Dad. It's okay. We get it. It's kind of funny. It's not good. Not good. Then you've got misguided emotions. Any family member who resents their emotional um, deprived home and is too anxious to express themselves honestly may abuse substances too as an outlet for those feelings. Let me read that again in case you missed it. Some family members who resent their emotionally deprived home, emotionally deprived home, and is too anxious to express themselves honestly, may abuse substances as an outlet for these feelings. Can you see... Can you see that somebody just doesn't wake up one day and decide, you know, I decided today that I'm going to become an alcoholic or an addict. It doesn't happen that way. There are these small things that occur way before that. <clears throat> way before that. Parents have got to be paying attention. People have got to be paying attention. What I'm trying to do today is maybe... With some of this information, help some parents today intervene. If you know you're not acting right, whether you're a single parent or a couple, 
and you know that there's some stress in the home and you're not really sure how your kid is taking it, allow them the moment. Allow them the time to be open and honest, but really do it. Really do it. Because I'm telling you, they're building resentments regarding their emotionally deprived home. And at 14 or 15, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Let's talk about some dysfunctional roles, right? There's different roles that people take in the family. You probably wouldn't think of it, but it's not like, uh, you know, mom, dad, son, daughter. And that's their role. I'll get to those. These can also be known as the family survival roles, which to get a great um, a great expla- explanation for why these roles develop, we'll go over that. But it is important to realize that dysfunctional family roles can be flexible. Not every plays the same part. I'm not talking about actors, you know, but sort of. Sort of. You'll see what I'm saying. Because this means that one family member um, will mostly be given um, or adopt one role. Usually they're sort of given the role just because of the way the things fall um, in in their family unit. But a lot of them take it on too. And you'll understand that in a minute. But they can also shift to um, different aspects of or full fully at a certain time so if they take on one role and the kid who had one role in the family grows up and moves out first then you can have this uh, shift and what what kid or one person will do right the first one is the codependent many people think that dysfunctional um the dysfunctional family must always be just about to break apart, that uh, one of the parents will leave the other, but this is frequently, in fact, not the case at all, because the parents have found each other. A codependent, (laughs) you don't even know, uh, do you know anybody that's kind of codependent? I mean, sort of my definition of that is um, if you put all of your self-worth into the opinion of one other person or any other people, you can be considered a codependent. If what they think or feel about you is more important than what you think or feel about yourself, you might be codependent. A codependent parent gets the external validation they need from the other parent. They feel needed because they feel that the addict cannot survive life without them. Seen that happen. You get the addict clean and sober, and the codependent parent doesn't know what to do with themselves because they're used to pampering and cleaning and shaving and sharing and dancing around the topic, yet changing their clothes, changing the bed, helping them crawl to bed, right? All of those things. And when you take the addict away, Get them clean and sober, the codependent feels lost. How sick is that? Right? How sick is that? It's about 
desperately seeking love and approval. This is most usually because these basic needs were unmet when they were a child. Oh my God. Were we just talking about that? Right? We were just talking about that. The emotional deprived household. This is how they start becoming codependent. Right? This is how they start becoming codependent. The other one is the peacemaker. Oh, the peacemaker in the home. Or caretaker. Either way, you can call them either one. The caretaker or peacemaker will be on constant alert to deal with family, any family issues and conflicts. This will uh, always go ahead of their own personal needs, which is obviously not healthy. They're the ones that try to do whatever or say whatever. They can also be, there's the, the jokester too, but they can be a jokester too. Try to intervene in any stress buildup they see, even if it's perceived. It's like, oh, they're going to be arguing in a minute. And they'll go in and start creating some other either laughing scenario um, or a different chaotic scenario. Right? It's all dependent on what it is that they do. Let's see. They are the one who takes on the duties and responsibilities of others in the family. They will be constantly attempting to save other family members from the consequences of their words and actions. <sighs> Do we know how many times we put children in this situation? They feel the need to protect mom or even protect dad sometimes. But it's usually mom. I've read up on scenarios where dad comes home and the house is picked up. Mom got it all done because she knew he was going to be a butthead when he got home. But she forgot the dishes. And what does the peacemaker do? Runs in and starts getting the dishes done for mom so she doesn't get in trouble. For a child to take on a parental role in this way is not only sad, right, as it is hinders the child's childhood. That is sad. It does hinder the child's childhood. It is deeply damaging. They often grow up to subconsciously seek partners with addiction, mental health, or chronic health issues because they want to be the peacemaker. As children, they will often feel drained. This continues into adulthood and throughout their life, especially as people who had this role in their family find it difficult to relax. They always have to be doing something. Mm. Then you got the hero. Uh, they call him the golden child as well. This is the child who can be can do no wrong because they are so perfect. It lets the family believe there is nothing wrong because they have obviously done something right, just like everyone is always telling him. But the golden child will have 
intense pressure to continue with their achievements or risk explosive or exposing the exposing the real dysfunction of their family. So once they're hemmed up as the good guy, they got to work harder to stay the good guy. The next one is the mascot. This guy can be the clown too. As a rule, um, the atmosphere is, uh, um, or in a dysfunctional family, is tense most of the time. That's what this, this is. The clown, or the mascot, steps into the role of mood lightener to avoid something boiling over, swooping in when he feels the tension growing. Right? And that kid may put on a cape. And I'm not saying that all kids are trying to do this, but they put on a fake cape, go dancing around the living room, try to get parents, to, uh, you know, attention, something. Consequently, as with the caretaker, they will be on high alert at all times. They will be perpetually ready with some humor or clowning around to act as a distraction from any potential stressor oh gosh can you imagine what that feels like as a kid trying to always be on alert to swoop in and distract your addicted parents or angry parents or you know oh then there's the lost child where there is a golden child there is a lost child they attempt to stay out of the dysfunction they stay out of the way Right, stay out of the dysfunctional picture as much as possible by staying quiet on their own and fending for themselves as much as possible. Their needs are going unmet anyway. Consequently, this child will withdraw, feel alone, and desperately yearn for love, approval, and attention. That kid can also be codependent. They are unlikely to have positive social skills, or healthy self-esteem. This can continue into adulthood, and so they will struggle to have any meaningful relationships. So a lot of them will turn to drugs and alcohol to medicate that. Then you have the scapegoat, or the troublemaker, right? Someone has to be blamed for the family's continual problems. The scapegoat or the, and the golden child are often put against each other, which serves as strengthening their dysfunctional family roles. In actual fact, the scapegoat is frequently the only emotionally stable kid. Right? Stable. He's only the only stable one in the family. They are the ones that speak the truth about the family's dysfunction, but because they have broken the rule that nobody must ever know, the family will make them pay by labeling them as the problem. The cause of all the family's problems. Mm. These are some underlying issues. We've talked about them before. On how addiction is picked up. How it happens. Right? When you got... People at young ages struggling with all of these things throughout their life. And they're just looking for an escape. And they see that their friends are dabbling in whatever drugs or alcohol. 
that's the open door. So next time you're dealing with your alcoholic or addict family member, remember they just didn't wake up one day and decide to do that. That's not how this works. Anyway, again, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. I know I went a little bit long today, but this is some really good information. Um, I may even add to it um, in our next session because uh, there's just so much of it. There are so many things that just seem to fester in early childhood on into adolescence and early adulthood that can be some of the causes for what the stresses are you see in families today. It is constantly an underlying issue. And we'll talk more. I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for listening. And until next time, be uh, blessed. Thanks a lot. Thank you.